Thank you. Wonderful job, guys. Now, to those who will be fasting for 30 hours and you then go to the pizza party, do not eat 10 to 15 slices of pizza uh, right away. That's not good after you've gone so long without eating. Enter in slowly back into the eating realm. And uh, as you drink juices, make sure they're not uh, acid juices like orange juice. You want to water it down. So just your stomach's going to go through a small little shock over the next 30 hours, and you just want to use wisdom in, in fasting. I've said before that uh, a requirement to be a chapel speaker here, they have to have a love for you. And our speaker today has been in higher ed, was in higher ed for over 27 years, and has committed his adult life and ministry uh, as uh, the president of Korean Nazarene uh, University. Dr. Patch is a retired missionary for the Church of Nazarene. As I said, he served 27 years as president of KNU, uh, Korean Nazarene University. Uh, Dr. Patch worked himself out of a job. Uh, the Korean Nazarene Church has matured to the point where they no longer need assigned missionaries. Bill current, uh, conti- currently continues to work with other Nazarene institutions in the Asia-Pacific region to try to assist them in their development. They finished their service in South Korea, he and his wife, in August of 2008. Uh, Dr. Patch is a graduate of Eastern Nazarene College. He received an MA from St. Louis University and a master's specialist degree from the University of Rochester. Eastern Nazarene College conferred the Honorary Doctorate of Divinity upon him in 1988. The Patches have three children, Pamela, Tanja, and Kevin. They now have six grandchildren as well. Again, his love for higher ed, his love for college students, and his passion to serve and follow the Lord Jesus Christ is why we've invited him to be with us today. Will you please welcome Dr. Bill Patch. Good morning. I thought I would greet you before you went to sleep. Where's that uh, team, our singing group? Would you just sort of stand up for a second? Are you here, or did you go out the back door? All right, let's give them a hand, all right? Thank you, Mary Sue. They were... Uh, our chaplain told them that uh, they were the best group as he had heard, and there was a debate about whether he says that to every group or whatever. But you have brought us to the throne of grace. Thank you. We're in a great time leading up to Easter, where we celebrate what God has done for each of us. Personally, our name was on that cross. And he rose triumphantly for us. You know, when we think of missions, we... Uh, well, I remember when Gail and I, that's my wife, she's my fiancé then, attended ENC. That was back about 100 years ago. <laughs> we uh, used to enjoy watching missionaries come and go and... Uh, They would come and they would uh, speak strangely sometimes. They would dress differently, often. And so we sort of enjoyed that aspect. But then people like Paul Oriola and a few of these fantastic missionaries of the church came, a concert pianist, just fantastic. It changed our lives. I'd like to talk to you this morning a little bit about God's road to redemption. 
when we speak of missions, we, we conjure up all sorts of things. We, uh, I was on a year of deputation, my final year last year, and they said, well, we need to know more stories about the poor, the dying, the starving. Uh, we want to see more pictures like we had here. And uh, we had those. So every time we spoke of the returning aspect of seeing the need and the response to the need, if we emphasize the response too much, others got quite uncomfortable. But the beautiful thing of this generation, this generation here, is as I traveled from all over the United States into Canada to England, one of the things I noticed about this 21st century generation is that you seem willing to commit yourself to something that is valuable. And for those who are Christian, I met young person after young person who was ready and willing to commit their lives to something important for Christ. You know, missions uh, didn't start with the New Testament. Missions didn't start with the go ye command, which was very real. Go ye into all the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing, discipling. But it didn't start there. By faith, Abraham, Noah, all these great men of God became righteous before him. And by faith... God established the people who had faith in him. And one of their great tasks, in fact, was to evangelize. As God reminds them several places to become a holy priesthood, a special people, a light, as it were, to the world. Like so many of us today, the Jews interpreted this ethically. That only the Jews were to participate. Ethnically, that only the Jews were to participate. They missed their calling, like many of us are today. They disobeyed their Creator, the one who had set them apart to become such a glorious example of a blessed life of God. God's creation had failed him. God's nation had failed him. Oh, we can't blame it just on them. We fail him so many times. So God sent his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he was so radical, so different. He ate with the wrong people. He spent his time with the wrong type of people. He reached out to the people we shouldn't reach out to, that we crucified him. And lo, he was put on a cross for your sins and mine. In a couple of weeks, we commemorate that occasion. Through many different ways, we give up different things, perhaps uh, meals, perhaps 
time in, uh, spend extra time in prayer. We do all sorts of things to commemorate the fact that Jesus died for each and every one of us here. What a great message. And then the New Testament church. Now we say church in one sense of the word. They were a church. They were a group of people who had uh, committed their lives to Jesus Christ, who believed in him and the resurrected Lord. But their church only met together to praise and to worship him. But most of the church was time was spent out impacting others for Jesus Christ. And so it began to spread from brother to sister, down through this tribal group into another tribal group. History tells us that all during the Roman Empire, even though the regular church itself had moved into monasteries and away from the world, so to speak, many of that church's believers, priests, went clear up into northern England, Ireland, Scotland, clear out towards China, carrying the message of Christ with them. They truly believed in the discipling process. You see, God is a missional God. God has been since creation on a redemptive chase to bring you and me back to him, his disobedient creation. We serve a great God. Jesus set examples for us. Many examples for us. But one of the great examples he set for us to become a worthy Christian, to become a worthy son and daughter of his, was that he spent time with his father. Here's the son of God. But as you read the scriptures, time after time after time, he, he left. He went away to the hills. The Korean church is a great example of this. They have prayer mountains all over Korea. When things come up, they head for the mountain to pray. They realize that they need to spend time with their father. You see, if we are redeemed ones, we're sons and daughters of the utmost God of all creation. And so the Korean church has grown by leaps and bounds because they spend, have spent much time in prayer, communing with their Father through the name of Jesus Christ, his Son. The command we have in the New Testament says, Go ye and make disciples. That call has come again. In our Western world, the church does not seem to be growing. Many churches, there are empty churches all over our land. In a year of deputation as I traveled east and west and north and south, church after church was setting empty. But you know, I, I feel that somehow we've forgotten whose we are. We're possessed by the world. The Bible tells us we're possessed by his Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ on the cross. And somehow we've, uh, our, may I say this about our Western culture, it seems that we have failed you, our next generation. 
If I can apologize for all of us, I will. Our lives that we spent. Oh, we often went to church on Sunday, every Sunday morning. And for a while we went to Sunday night services. But that, in essence, sort of represented what we deemed the, quote, quote, Christian life. It was not a relationship. I'm afraid what we showed our sons and daughters was something, uh, we were a little bit different on Sunday, but uh, the rest of the week we were the same as the world around us. You see, the problem was, and the problem in our society today, is that we build our churches, beautiful edifices, not necessarily churches, it's just a building, but we built them. And we put doors on them. And that for everyone who wanted to come and find him, they should come to our sanctuary. They should come to our building. Indeed, we sometimes by uh, unofficial or covert means express to them that really if you come to church, you should probably wear this or do this in addition. And so our Western world has, our, in the United States, we've said to the society around us, you have to come to church. But really, wherever we are is the church. We are the sons and daughters of God. We do not possess ourselves. We are possessed by him. And it's he who directs us. He who guides us. He who gives us strength. I like cars. I have a motorcycle. Yes, even as an old man, grandpa, I like bikes. Now, I don't go out and square around too much, but I sure do like to honk it down and get that feeling of, you know. We all have our likes, don't we? Things that we talk about when we meet our friends. Here we are, sons and daughters of God, experiencing his blessings, his guidance. I wonder what we talk about with our friends. Do we ever mention Jesus and the change in our hearts and lives? Oh, I better not come down that line too hard, should I? Are we turning our other cheek? Are we walking the second mile and doing all those things? Are we, or are we saying, that's not my right? We always claim our rights, don't, do we not? But the Western Church has gathered in its buildings and in a sense let the rest of the world go to hell. And now we wonder why in our Western societies so many are attacking us Christians. You see, it's a relationship we're talking about. It's a discipling process we're talking about. It's a way of impacting the world to say, this Jesus that loves me, has saved me, has changed me, wants to do the same in you. The cities of this world. Well over 60% of the world's population are now living in cities. Most cities are very, very difficult to evangelize. Particularly here in America, we have many, many places where you cannot get into a, a condominium area or apartment area without having knowing somebody or having permission to go there. 
Christ said, go and make disciples. You see, the church has not developed a skill, and we apologize for that. But may I challenge you, don't make the same mistakes we have. Learn how to tell your friend, your neighbor, I love you, God loves you. Learn how to direct them to the foot of the cross. That's where it counts. That's where the relationship begins. I was in, we were building our new campus down in the city of Chenon. This is back in about 1981. I kept going through this turn gate where the, late at night, and finally I said, uh, Mr. Kim, 60% of the Koreans are Kim, by the way. Uh, Mr. Kim, you look so tired. And so I got so that we would bring whatever I was chewing on to help me stay awake as I traveled, I would bring with it. And I, if it were peanuts, I'd give them some peanuts. If it were the dried squid, you know, you tear it off and you put it in your mouth and you can chew and chew and chew. Could never go to sleep chewing that hard. And I'd give him a half a piece or something. And one time I came in and he was there just bent over sound asleep. I had to tap him on the window to get him awake. I found out his wife had cancer, was dying of cancer in fact. They were non-Christians. They were all Buddhists in their whole family. And I told Mr. Kim, I said, oh, I wish you told me early, I'll be praying for you. So one day, night I came through, he said, by the way, President Patch, will you come pray for us? I had never said anything to him. I said, sure, when do you want me to come? <coughs> well, Long story short, his wife was amazingly healed from cancer. God had worked a miracle. And how their gracious hearts of love, they became solid Christians. They're now attending a Baptist church close to their home. Was I upset? No, no. They're in the kingdom. They're great Christians. And you know what? I met Mr. Kim for, for the first time two, a year ago, I guess it was, when we had the 50th uh, anniversary. And I came through and I said, what are you, I thought you retired. He said, no, they needed someone temporarily. He said, so I, I came back out today. I said, oh, God helped you to come back out. I wanted, it's so good to see you again after all these years. And he said, yes, I'm attending church, but yes, I am God's man. He said, I'll get going. You're holding up traffic. Wasn't that great? A relationship, folks. A discipling process that happens because others see Jesus in you. Working with you. In your mistakes, they see Jesus as you say, hey, I blew that, friend. I'm sorry. Discipling. Have you ever heard the word gap? Can I see your hands? Gap. Talking about college students. Gap. One year gap. Did I see any hands? I wasn't quite sure whether you were wiping your head or what. You know, one of those kind of hand raising things. 
Well, in England, when they graduate from college, many of the young people have one-year gap where they go out and do, just do. They take what they've learned, and maybe they go in, into some aspect of what they've learned, some vocation, volunteer work, or just go and try to put everything together to put themselves together after their college experience. And he, I'm here today simply to say that I would like to see particularly our ENC students choose to make a real difference in their world by, as you graduate, in the year of the gap, so to speak, giving of yourself to be a disciple, a Christ-like one, in areas of Asia. There are over 103 cities that have 1 million plus population in Asia. In those cities, most of the cities have less than 1% Christian. One or two say they have 3%. But all we know is that they are in bad, great need of Christ. 1.6 billion students who have not heard the word of the Lord, have not heard of the name of Jesus. And to help us mature, to help us, this generation, this 21st century generation, to become disciplers. All that includes church going, of course, church participation, but disciplers. People who can say, hey, you know Jesus? People whose life has their friends say, Hey, what's different about you? And we can look at them and say, the only thing that's different from me to you is Jesus. Not that I go to church, as if that answers the question. But you see, the world is looking for someone to relate to. Let's express ourselves. Let's disciple this generation. And uh, I'm here to give you an opportunity upon graduation to go to over 103 cities, million plus population, all through Asia. It's called Vision 2020 by 19, or 19, yes, 2020. We'd like to have a minimum of 500 young men and women saying to this world, I am a Jesus one. He is my keeper. He is my strength. Will you become a, a discipler? Will you, will you be a 21st generation Christian that will not emphasize things, that will not emphasize spatial organizations but will reflect Jesus to this world through the power of his Holy Spirit. And I have a great, great bias 
to that of our eight institutions here in America. My alma mater, ENC, would have the largest number out there all through the world. You have many missionaries, have had many missionaries all around the world. Let's enhance that number. Let's break all the records. And whether your world is Boston, or whether your world is China, or Indonesia, or Thailand, or Vietnam, wherever your world turns out to be, may it be a world where you are a discipler for him. God bless you.